All right, here we are. Hey, y'all, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel and Terry with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today, we're going to be talking about uh, the, for want of a better term, the ongoing absolute uh, clusterfuck of mishandling of the uh, homelessness crisis that is the city of Los Angeles's response. Uh, we're going to be talking mainly about that. We got a little bit of an update about coronavirus. We've got a little bit of an update about what's going on with 2022. And then we've got a bit of an announcement to make. But first things first, before we get started, how's everything going for you, Squirrel? Uh, it's going all right. I actually, um, so I, I, I did myself uh, kind of a stupid and I got the HBO <laughs> Max free trial just to hate watch Zack Snyder's um, catastrophe. <laughs> That's why you got miserable- it? <laughs> I needed to see how bad it was, and it was everything I hate about modern cinema. Um, it was just such an overly pretentious, ridiculous, stupid, fucking take itself too seriously movie. But one of the plus sides to to getting HBO Max and then forgetting to cancel my subscription in time to get out of the free trial for free means that I've gotten to watch the uh, the Q documentary Into the Storm, and that just wrapped up uh, this weekend. And if you haven't seen it. I very much suggest going and watching it, even if you've read a lot of stuff about Q, even if you feel like you're pretty familiar with what's going on there and you're familiar with uh, Jim and Ron Watkins, who are kind of the people behind 8chan, uh, this, seeing them on camera as much as you do is just a creepy, weird experience. And this is, you know, this is a spoiler for anybody who hasn't watched this, but, you know, I don't fucking care. Um, this screenshot I sent you, Chris, this is Ron Watkins, who... By the end of this documentary, you learn was the final cue. Like, cue was most likely several different people along the way until Ron here basically stole cue's identity on 8chan and became Q. And it's just such creepy, weird vibes. And of Is course, it- he has a gigantic statue of Ray Ayanami from I was gonna Evangelion. Say. <laughs> yeah, from Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is a really good series, but like. Ray Ayanami is probably not a character that you want, like, a large, vaguely sexualized statue of in your room. Like, that's kind of weird, She's creepy like 14, vibes. She's man. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of, there's a lot of that. Uh, but Ron here, like I said, he's, he's Q. And, like, this is a young guy who has, you know, that's not cute. a lack of intelligence, but, like, a total nihilistic cynicism that he turned loose on the world and brought the U.S. federal government to its knees and is for some fucking reason still walking around free and has not been black bagged (laughs) into Gitmo and that kind of confuses me. Um, But yeah, I highly suggest watching it. It's a really, really good, really weird watch. Uh, By the time you get to the reveal at the end, you've kind of already figured it out. For as smart as this guy is, he's not nearly as clever as he thinks he is. He's, you know, too clever by half most of the time, but really interesting watch, especially getting into the psychology, not really of the Q followers as much as like the people who were sort of the band leaders in this uh, symphony of disaster. So (laughs) highly recommend that watch. Uh, You know, if you don't want to pay for HBO Max, I don't blame you. There are, you know, stories on the internet tell of ways to get content for free. And uh, maybe you want to explore those. Uh, But Terry, how are you doing, sir? Uh, doing all right. Doing all right. I, I haven't had a chance to get a free HBO Max trial to watch this uh, excellent content yet. But just judging from that photo, uh, he seems to have missed his calling. He, it looks more like he tried to steal the identity of Han Solo. Um, and <laughs> and it, it's a shame. It's a shame that he, he didn't go that route. I mean, for all of us. Um, 
So, uh, but no. <laughs> But otherwise, I'm doing fine. I, you know, every I've got a great new T-shirt. Uh, thanks, Squirrel, for that. And uh, yeah, of course. And I'm uh, gonna wear this right back into the COVID storm of college students that I see every week. Um, so, so I'm doing doing well. Thanks. Yep. Nice. What about you, Chris? How are you doing? I'm much improved. Thank you very much. Uh, I I got word about a. Uh, last minute uh, spare vaccine situation going on at a pharmacy up in Glendale and availed myself of the opportunity to get the uh, Johnson and Johnson jab as I would 1000% recommend everybody do. But uh, I would also highly, highly recommend that y'all plan to not be productive the following day. Let's just say I, I spent the uh, middle portion of the day from a right about I'd say it was right around like 17 or 18 hours after the vaccine until around 22 hours after the vaccine in absolute just agony. Like it was, it was absolutely miserable. It was like the, one of the worst set of flu-like symptoms that I've ever had. And it was just like, it hit me like that. And then it like just, it dissipated all of a sudden. So Mm. apparently my body is processing the vaccine and now is producing antibodies uh, but it absolutely knocked me on my ass for a solid day. Uh, basically, just a, a little, a little bit of residual soreness in the arm at this point. But that's pretty much it. So I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled that I was able to get a one and done situation. Um, and then, uh, as you continually ribbed me for the next day and a half, as I was complaining about the misery I was going through, squirrel. Uh, <laughs> yes, it. I, I was far too confident because the first six eight hours after the vaccine like i was like yeah. this is fine no problem no problem woke up in the morning and was like what the hell happened yep it's that that day after it takes your it takes your immune system uh, um, about 12 hours to actually yeah. like kick into gear it's a good sign though it means that your immune system's doing what it's supposed to be doing that your cells are, are pumping out those spike proteins and your body's yeah. reacting to them and being like what the fuck are these and killing them off but yeah it definitely Oh, it's, it's a hard one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I forget I forget where so I, I forget where I read this description, but it says that you know, your immune system once it recognizes the 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 virus, like your immune system is kicked into high gear and it is spoiling for a fight. And uh, yeah. w- whether you not whether or not you want to be, you're in that fight. Uh so just uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but it, yeah, it was, fortunately it wraps up pretty well. Or yeah, it wraps it up did. pretty quickly. It, it was nice and quick, but man, my lower back was just I, I just couldn't get comfortable. It was it was wild, but highly recommend it because it is absolutely like the level of uh, mental ease, like with which I'm able to approach the world, the, the the reassuredness that I have that you know, worst case scenario, I'm probably if even if I do get sick, I'm probably not going to end up in the going to the hospital. Like there's like a 99 percent chance, right, that I'm not going to be going to the hospital because of it. Uh, or something ridiculously high like that, especially for my demographic. But that the level of confidence that it gives me to reapproach the world after a fucking year of being just like feeling so completely cooped up in my apartment is incredible. It's absolutely one of the most liberating things that's ever happened in my life. I I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is worth the pain and suffering folks. Go and get yourself a jab and, uh, yeah. But also, well, also remember that you wanna you wanna wait two weeks before you go out and hit the newly opened bars. Yes. Uh, you got to give yep. your your immune system time to actually like do oh, its yeah. thing, settle in, and get set. And then the other thing 
and I hate to be the Debbie Downer on this one, but the best um, the best evidence we have so far says that like, and this is for the Pfizer vaccine specifically, uh. but we can probably stretch it out to Moderna and and Johnson and Johnson, uh, is that you have six months of effective immunity. So it. it might be a little bit longer than that, but it, it, right now they're saying six months. So you know, a lot of people I see on the on the timeline and like just in general, kind of making the mistake of thinking that. Um, the COVID vaccine is like the lifetime immunity that you get from the polio vaccine or the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, which I actually found out in the course of getting my my new job. Uh, Even though I was vaccinated for MMR, the measles and the mumps vaccinations, uh, apparently those wear off after a while, so I had to get boosters for those. Um, But you're, you're not immunized for life against yep. covid you're it's more like the flu shot so yeah we're so, probably going to be getting boosters oh. every couple of years so, so be so careful what, about that so whatever cocaine fueled binge you want to go on i mean go get it in quick <laughs> yeah yeah no, time just, it with time it you know a couple weeks before spring break and then and just before <laughs> winter break make sure you've got I mean, the big the big thing here is that it's I know I can't go out and just like be maskless and run around and, and be a, a you know a resume life as as you know normal right uh, yeah but the, having that light at the end of the tunnel is such a it's such a lightening of the load on your shoulders it makes things just so much easier to get through um, but yeah. yeah the idea of like having to get a booster for shot for this I wonder. I wonder what the booster is going to be like when and if we get that developed and out there, like if it's going to be the same kind of a like kick your ass for a day situation or if it's going to be more of like an, oh, you know, it's just like a regular vaccine where it, it you know, it doesn't require a complete immune response from your system that does incapacitate you uh, would be great. I mean, if, if it's just like a thing, you show up every six months and you get a little a quick prick in the arm and on about your life. And it doesn't knock you on your ass for a day, or in you know, in my parents' case, it it took my mom out for at least two days. Uh, it, it's it would be it'd be nice to to have that you know available and and just even if that's like the price we have to pay, like okay, this is like this is the the new world of pandemics that we just get to get used to because. We live in hell now, and this is uh, just the way things are. The- the part about that, that that gives me confidence is that we we have the infrastructure to distribute the flu vaccine to every goddamn yep. Walgreens and and CVS in the country, and so oh, yeah. now that now that we've gone through this once, uh, I mean, hopefully the the shipping and, and logistical infrastructure uh, can piggyback off of what we're already doing with the flu vaccine every single year. Um, and uh, I mean, who knows? We we do live in hell, but <laughs> but it's like the higher level of hell. So yeah, exactly. So far, well, so yeah. On on this note, given that we have already been talking about it for a minute, let's uh, go ahead and go on over to a quick look at what's been going on with coronavirus here in California and Los Angeles over the last week. Uh, fortunately, things are looking up. Uh, testing, as you mentioned, Squirrel, testing has just completely bottomed out. It's it's fallen off a fucking cliff. Uh, so we don't actually know what's going on in terms of infections. Uh, we do know, however, that uh, hospitalizations are dramatically dropping off. Um, yeah. In the state of California, we're down to three. We're still at three point six million cases. We're down to around one to two thousand cases a day at this point which is a phenomenal improvement relative to where we were before. 
uh, you know, only 20 deaths so far today, 30 deaths yesterday. Um, we might manage to stick it till under 60,000 deaths due to the virus uh, would be amazing for California. Uh, 33% <laughs> of Californians are currently partially vaccinated, at least, if not fully vaccinated. So uh, this this curve that we've been talking about flattening for a year. <laughs> We're finally flattening yeah. it, folks. <laughs> Hopefully, I Hopefully. mean, we'll talk about it in a minute, but like we're still we're still not in the uh, the breathe a sigh of relief section yet. Correct. So the the as you can see here in uh, the the new cases by day, it has flattened out on the bottom. It's not dropped down to zero. It's just kind of stagnated at around that one to two thousand cases per day uh, number that we were talking about. Um, unfortunately, you can't really tell what the hell's going on because. At the height of the pandemic, things were so bleak when we were seeing, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 cases in a day. Uh, it's, you know, it makes it difficult to tell exactly how things are going on a week by week basis. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, looking here into Los Angeles in particular, uh, we're at almost the same level of uh, vaccination as the rest of the state, 32.7 percent. Uh, we have not had any deaths today uh, that have been reported, at least uh, captured by the L.A. Times tracker. Uh, we only had one death yesterday, uh, 20, 23,275 deaths so far due to the virus, um, 1.2 million confirmed cases, none reported yet today, 822 yesterday. We're in a much, much better place than we were just a couple of months ago. And again, we're seeing the exact same situation where the line has flattened out. It did not drop <clears throat> down to zero. We're still in a worse place than we were in terms of new cases one year ago. However, we're in a much better place than we were three months ago, it's four months ago. So, you know, I, I think that pretty well captures what we're at other than like, you know, saying we are now... Uh, our, our ICU capacity, uh, we now are at 32% capacity, which is a dramatic improvement over uh, the 0% we had not that long ago. We're at 3.1 as our adjusted case rate, which means that we're in the second to the lowest tier, tier three. Um, apparently, mm -hmm. these, these, these number slash color-coded tiers are about to disappear, uh, if my recollection of just glancing through the headlines is correct. Um, our positivity rate is down to one and a half percent. Equity index is right on the border between tier three and tier four at 2.1, uh, which means that uh, the libraries are starting to open. The uh, bars are n not open necessarily. Well, yet. They, no, they, they, they can, but only with outdoor dining. Exactly. So uh, things are things are starting to open up. Things are starting to look up. And uh, that's kind of where we are at with the coronavirus update here which we've been doing now for entirely too fucking long and uh yeah, yeah. i mean it looks so. like LAUSD is is on track to open which is a little bit um scary yeah. uh because the evidence coming out of other states that have already opened their schools is that the b117 variant the one that's called the uk variant uh, apparently is a lot more infectious among young people than oh, the yeah. like vanilla covid um and right now the youngest uh, people that can get vaccinated are 16, uh, and that's only with the Pfizer vaccine because that one was tested on people starting as young as 16. Pfizer is now running trials on people uh, 12 to 16. If those trials are successful, which uh, right now they, it looks like they are, um, that means that the age limit will drop to 12. That still leaves out like a whole bunch of vulnerable kids. And like up to this point, 
you know, people have been saying, oh, kids don't get COVID as much or they don't suffer as many deleterious effects. There have been cases of Kawasaki syndrome, which is a, a very debilitating and sometimes deadly condition arising in children. Um, you know, kids, for the most part, don't travel around society as much as adults do. They just can't. You know, you're not putting your four-year-old on the bus and sending them to work every day. They tend to live in more controlled environments. So it's not surprising that kids haven't been catching it as much. So we're kind of running an experiment on the children here. There was a lot of uh, charter school ghouls online today complaining that LAUSD teachers are being greedy by getting free health care, which, you know, they work to get that health care. Um, and then that they're holding kids hostage, which, you know, if you hate your children that much, why did you have them? Uh, but, you know, I, 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 it's going to be interesting to see. Hopefully it works out for the better and not the worst. You know, we'll just have to, we'll just have to keep an eye on it. But there, also, there was, that tw- there was it, also the exact opposite of the policy uh, priorities in terms of reopening schools. Mm-hmm. So they're going to start testing 12 to 16. That's high school. And everyone, nobody's pushing. I mean, that that hard for the high schools to reopen, because uh, those kids. I mean, that's okay. They they can actually be online and maybe educate. You know, we get educated fairly well, and, and and the parents don't don't have to stay home from work necessarily to to watch over them. But the the younger kids who are not being tested uh, and will not have this vaccine for a long, long time. It's like those are the schools that are being pressured to reopen so that the parents can go back to work and so on and so forth. So. Yeah, we'll yeah. see, but it's um, the the science is going in the exact opposite direction of the, as the policy. Yeah, uh, the you know with LAUSD's opening, they're opening elementary schools and early childhood education centers. Uh, Sixty three, uh, no, sixty one, cha- uh, sixty one elementary schools and eleven childhood education centers, bringing to seventy two the number of campuses that will be open. They're hoping to get all the high schools and everything open within the next month. I know a couple of my friends who are LAUSD teachers have gotten their vaccinations, um, which I also thought it was weird that like these charter school ghouls were complaining that teachers hopped the line to get their vaccinations and now they need to go back to work. And you're like, so did you want unvaccinated teachers to like take COVID to your kids? Like what, what exactly are you, you gunning for here, oh. folks? Yeah, it's, it's really bad. But I mean, again, like we'll have to see how it goes. Um, you know, it's weird that the CDC had an epiphany and realized, oh no, children only need to be three feet apart, even though we've been <laughs> yeah. saying six feet apart. Yeah, but it- now that everyone's really mad that they have to deal with their shitty kids 24 uh, seven, we're gonna go ahead and say <laughs> three feet just to allow all of these parents to get their kids out of the house and go back to ge- being wine drunk all day, I guess, you know, well, I, priorities. Squirrel, there was that, there was that tweet that you shared earlier today uh, that I think really hit the nail on the head where it was yeah, like the free some, healthcare one. Well, it was the free healthcare one. And the one that was just like, uh, you know, the, that basically the assumption was that the teachers hadn't been working for a year. It's like, do you know how much work these teachers have been having to do? Like, My brother is a teacher. He's been teaching remotely in New York and like has been spending an incredible amount of time prepping coursework to deal with the whole change over to Zoom. Like it is no small feat. You have to revamp everything that you're doing. And like and he's he's teaching high school like this is not. He's not even like the 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 crazy work burdened one. You know, his his kids are at least able to follow along and 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 participate like what you were talking about. It's not like yeah. the four year olds and the six year olds where you're just like, I don't know. How do you how do you engage with kids that young on Zoom on like whatever proprietary Zoom equivalent you've got? Like, 
it's just madness to think that the teachers well, are like freeloading and not doing their fucking jobs. Like, well, there was there was a, a a woman in that same thread who complained that the LAUSD teachers, the UTLA teachers specifically, oh. um, were holding the kids hostage. Oh, and like if you really dislike your UTLA teacher that much, you could just homeschool your own kids. Like they're there yeah. in your home. Like you're the one making the <laughs> conscious decision to like put them on that computer and make them learn that way. You could, you know, you could. Just go ahead and take care of the learning yourself if you wanted to, because oh, apparently you're smarter than all of your children's teachers. But you know what do I know? Uh, I'm just a college dropout. But uh, yeah, this is. I mean, it, the other thing to mention before we move on from this topic is that over the past three weeks, the U.S. as a whole has seen a rise in COVID infections, and that's yeah. bad, right? Like every time the virus gets into a new system or a new person's body, that means that that's another chance for it to mutate. That means that it's another chance for it to spread. So seeing infections go up while vaccinations go up is a little bit scary, especially when we're seeing the pace of reopening accelerate. Um, I know we're going to be seeing more spikes. I don't know if we'll see another spike like we we have seen in the past. Like, I just don't know if that's possible. Um, There's a a nurse that I know um, and we were chatting and, you know, she, you know, kind of very darkly, but I think somewhat correctly noted, like, look, a lot of the people who would die in this pandemic have died. Like yep. a lot of people who were the most vulnerable to this, they didn't make it. Those people can't die again. We just, there aren't, there isn't a large enough body of people out there, a large enough population of people out there who can get really sick from this. Yep. But we also don't know what COVID's going to do. Like the, the 1918 flu is the same flu that we're fighting now. It's endemic. It went through other waves in the 50s, in the 70s. That's why we get flu vaccines is to stop the 1918 flu pandemic from happening again. But we've had other minor pandemics, you know, hog flu, swine, uh, hog flu, uh, the first SARS, um, avian flus. Like we see this pop up and it's sort of been a sort of luck of the draw as well as like good health policy that nothing exploded the way that cars uh, that SARS COVID-19 has exploded. But we're just playing with fire. Like the more we encroach into nature, the more we're fucking with natural systems, the more we're like constantly poisoning our body with heavy metals and stuff, the more we're going to see pandemics, especially as like the climate changes. You know, this is not the last one of these we're going to see. And I think overall the world has proven like we're really bad at this. You know, one of my like uh, a YouTuber I really enjoy watching, Jenny Nicholson, had a tweet where she's like, I guess we have to stop saying avoid it like the plague because humans just don't do that. So, you know. On that note, uh, I mean, we uh, apparently were good at it during the Black Death. <laughs> not, no, I mean, we had like five really. of those. One hundred percent of everyone in Europe died, Chris. All of I them. <laughs> but at least we got like good nursery rhymes and shit out of it. Maybe that's what we get to look forward to with uh, SARS, you know, in a hundred years. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see more stuff. I'm not looking forward to it, but I was gonna say let's um let's move on and chat about uh, the housing crisis here in Los Angeles. Um, and so before we uh, before we get into the stories, I wanted to mention uh, there was a really interesting story in the uh, Wall Street Journal about how if you want to go buy a home, you're basically competing with investors. Like that's the new like growth stock. You're competing with uh, REITs, which are basically sort of hedge fund, like conglomerations of money that just buy up real estate portfolios yeah, for you to invest it. in. Yeah, that if you, yep, if you, were, uh, if you were trying to like buy a house in a subdivision in Houston, you have massive investment firms sweeping in and buying up all of the houses. And uh, also investors just on their smartphones through like other apps and like smartphone programs that are able to buy houses to flip them or use them as investment properties. And so 
you know, our generation, the millennial generation. Um, sorry, Terry, you're you're a Gen Xer, so you're you're you know, locked out of this conversation. Um, but our generations are locked out of really building equity. Like we're never going to have access to build the wealth on the level that our parents did, even with a decent paying job. And this this crisis is just going to keep accelerating, and we're going to keep seeing acts of violence from very privileged housed people against the unhoused population uh, and more tragedies like we saw in Beverly Grove this week. So let's start off with a story out of Eagle Rock, which we covered uh, when this happened. God, almost two years ago, right? Yeah. August, August 2019. Oh, that Jesus. Was... God, it took it took two years. And uh, real quick, show of hands, how many people think that Jackie Lacey would have brought charges in this case? Yeah. <laughs> 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 You're kidding, yeah, right? Exactly, folks. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so basically, nobody, nobody showed their hand. By the way, just for for those for, who are listening, this is an audio format, Squirrel. Uh, from the LA Times, quote, an Eagle Rock man has been charged with setting fire to homeless encampment in 2019, a blaze that eventually grew into a brush fire that left three people injured and threatened homes in Los Angeles and Glendale, prosecutors said. Daniel Noguera, 27, was charged last week with arson, two counts of assault with a deadly weapon, and using an explosive device, prosecutors said. The charges come more than 18 months after the fire erupted near the two freeway along the Glendale-Eagle Rock border. Um, what he's facing here is up to 10 years and four months in jail. And this was, oh, was this, the, I guess this was the first of a, a, a series of events. Um, we'll get into some more detail about it, but like there were a bunch of arson attacks on unhoused folks across the city of Los Angeles during that, yep. that, what was it? It was a six week span. Um, uh, from August to early October, quote, uh, a number of homeless men and women saw their tents set ablaze or had explosives thrown at their resting places in Eagle Rock, Glendale, Echo Park, and Skid Row. Three homeless people were killed in fires, two of which police said were set by other unhoused people. But in other cases, an encampment was burned out near Chatsworth and a firecracker was thrown at a tent for, of a man sleeping under an overpass in Echo Park. So yep. uh, this this is... We've seen this before. We've seen targeted acts of violence from housed folks directed at unhoused folks. And like it happens there, there's the, the slight, the more innocuous ones where people like uh, spray people with a hose when they're sleeping near their property or uh, urinating in, a, in an alleyway that, uh, that backs up against their house or something like that. And like mm -hmm. a, a, an upset landlord or homeowner will come out with a, with a, a garden hose and spray people right like that happens a lot you hear about those kind of uh you know petty tyrants all the time but this is taking it to like an entirely different and absolutely disgusting level and it is literally murderous <clears throat> yeah i mean this one we're very lucky that no one was killed yeah. in the unhoused encampment or in the houses that surrounded it like this started a brush fire in the middle of like a very hot fire oh, very, season yeah. they could have spread and like killed a lot of people or threatened a lot of lives. And this is and, incredibly dangerous, especially coming from somebody this privileged. Like oh, his father privileged. is the former president of the Eagle Rock Chamber of Commerce. Like this is not a poor family. This is not a family that's like, you know, competing with the unhoused population for anything. These are very privileged, very wealthy folks who just have a literal murderous hatred in them for people who are poor. Absolutely. Terry, you were gonna hop in? 
uh, mostly just to, to reiterate what Squirrel is saying, but I mean, just the, the abject fucking cruelty. Um, not many, or who knows how many of, of you or our listeners knows, before coming to Los Angeles, I, I myself was a firefighter. Um, you know, I've been, I've gone into houses that are, that are on fire. You know, I would never have gone to, to do wildland firefighting. Like the th- the shit that the people oh, in, Jesus, in California yeah. and the West that, that they go through, and not only I mean not only is being burned alive a really awful awful way to go, but to to str- attempt to do that to us to anyone, and then know somewhere you got to know that you're going to call down a. Uh, dozens of crews of people who put their lives in the line doing that same thing every single day and you're going to risk their lives it's just there are no there are no words yeah and it's it, it's one thing we don't talk about enough here but you know since we since you made the entrance I did want to mention this when we talk about wildland firefighting crews you know a lot of people go through EMT school like a lot of the people in my class went through that because you need that certification to even begin to try and be a firefighter. And in fact, LAFD wants you to be a paramedic um, as much as they want you to have like a fire science background and firefighting background. And so the suggestion a lot of people get is go fight wildland fires for the next two to three years while you apply to LAFD. What they leave out of that equation is that fighting wildland fires destroys your body. It is hiking with a lot of heavy gear. It is swinging a lot of heavy material. Just everything you're doing is tearing up your joints, tearing up your back. There's a lot of folks that I know that when they're 22, they're like, oh, there's good money fighting wildfires. By the age of 25, yeah, they're not fighting wildfires anymore. Their bodies can't take it. Like the the toll that this stuff takes on everyone, especially the people whose job it is to keep us safe from this stuff is, is astronomical. And the idea that a rich kid would go throw an explosive device into an encampment because he just simply doesn't like poor people and ra- wasted all of these resources and threatened all these lives is just absolutely disgusting but hey he's finally going to trial so like maybe he'll pay some price for this two years after two years of freedom Uh, yeah terry you were gonna say something then i've got a closing quote from the uh, la times article no no no, no, i'm good all right cool well so i'm gonna probably butcher his last name and i apologize for this mel if you're listening um but quoting from the la times Quote, Mel Tillicaratney, I apologize, I knew I was going to do that, excuse me, Uh, the founder of Shower of Hope, a network of trailers that provides washing stations for the unhoused throughout L.A. County, said the announcement of of charges, and absolutely friend of the show, uh, said the announcement of charges came as a relief given so much time has passed since the fire. Quote, it was something we were worried that would fall through the cracks of the so-called justice system in L.A., he said. So to see a person who committed a serious offense against the unhoused, to see them brought to justice, these are things we really need, end quote. And uh, yeah, Mel, you're right, right on target there. This, this yep. took a long time. And as you pointed out, the top squirrel, uh, if we still had Jackie Lacey in charge, uh, well, there's probably a reason why it didn't get brought to trial any earlier than this. Um, and I'm guessing she was no small part of that. That's, uh, yeah. You know, just a thought process. Uh, before before we maybe. move on, and this is this is maybe directed at Jackie Lacey specifically or district attorneys generally, but if it had been a person, an unhoused person living in that camp who had accidentally set the fire, how do we think this whole criminal justice system would have played out? Ooh. Yeah. Well, uh, even uh, there, when there was when there was that fire in uh, Brentwood a couple of years ago, um, the the implication 
by LAFD and LAPD was that an unhoused person had started it with a, a cooking fire. And then it turns out there was zero fucking evidence of that. Like when actually pressed to provide evidence for that's how the fire started, LAFD and LAPD both had to walk back the comments and say, oh, well, we were just saying that's one way this fire could have maybe possibly started because there are unhoused people who live around there. But they ultimately had to admit that it wasn't an unhoused person that did it. That didn't stop people in the city from hating the unhoused for something they didn't do. Yep. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the next tragic story um, in our trifecta of tragic stories. This uh, stabbing in Beverly Grove uh, that the LA Times actually like did some really good coverage on. Like this, the their coverage of it was actually pretty even-handed. Which, when I started reading this article, I could feel my ankles going up, just being like, "Oh God, more unhoused like hate propaganda." But it actually it came out to be a very interesting story. And Terry, I'm going to let you take this one because you've done a little bit more digging into this than I have. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's really a sad story, and uh, there was a, a, a and I'm going to get the names wrong, uh, Cooper, Cooner, uh, an unhoused man was uh, li- living in his car uh, and was seen in the area, and he was approaching people basically asking for directions to a local encampment that was known to, to exist in the area. Uh, police were called, um, and police showed up, and the, the, the caller... Uh, didn't want to take it any farther than that. And so the, the police, for once in their history in Los Angeles, uh, actually, they just left. They said, oh, well, you know, you called, but the other person has rights, too. And they just, like, packed up their their cars and they left. And at that point, uh, a little while later, this uh, young man was seen hopping fences through backyards. Fast forward to uh, a young, another young man named Gabe uh, Donnie. Donnie. Um, who is a, he was like a medical student or a pre-med student and, uh, you know, promising future, very artistic. Uh, he had a band. So he was in a back house in, in his backyard uh, working on music. And he, because he was working the back in the, the separate house, he'd left the back door to the main house open or, un, or at least unlocked so that he could go back and forth. Uh, at one point, he comes in, he goes into his house, and he sees everything's in disarray. He goes up to his bedroom. He finds this other young man in, in the bedroom. He says, oh, he screams, get out. He starts run, running away and down the stairs. Uh, the, the unhoused man follows and, and stabs him. Uh, ultimately, he died of the stabbing. A little short time thereafter, he goes into, I believe it is that same back house, uh, the music studio, uh, and stabs himself to death. Uh, he no, he went into a, a, different, a different a different guest house. Different guest house, and yeah. uh, you know, a tragedy abounds all around. Uh, there's just no way to sugarcoat it. Um, where the where the Times coverage was even handed, also mirrored the the community response. It was, I believe it was just yesterday. Uh, this whole incident happened last Wednesday. I believe it was over the yeah yeah over the weekend. That they had a candlelight vigil, and uh, because the victim himself had suffered from mental illness, uh, he had been a, a very strong supporter of, of the mentally ill. Uh, his parents both knew of that, and so they themselves are not really calling for any, uh, we don't want more police around, we want better me- mental health treatment. If there had been housing available to everyone, uh, these tragedies wouldn't happen. Uh, and the rest of the community, I mean, kind of 
kind of followed that lead. Um, and they're, they, yeah. they're, of course, very conflicted about it. I mean, nobody is going to say, oh, you know, stabbing someone to, to death is okay. Um, but at the same time, there's a lot of understanding uh, in the plight of uh, our brothers and sisters on the streets. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's something, you know, what's tragic about this is it, hopefully in the next two years, L.A. City will have a solution for this sort of thing in the form of a cahoots program like out of Eugene, Oregon, where for these kinds of non-emergency calls involving somebody that may be experiencing a mental health crisis that's probably unhoused, they don't send the police. They send a paramedic and a social worker. They send people who are qualified to treat them and then to get them help. Because, like, the thing the police aren't going to do in that situation is say, hey, we're going to take you to a safe place. Like, we're going to go take you to your own room in a safe place and get you some services. The police are there to be like, we're either taking you to jail or we're leaving you here. And that's it. That's That that ends our dispatch. As soon as we call dispatch and say, yeah, we contacted them and they don't seem immediately dangerous. We're going to be on our way. And that's the end of their involvement. And it's sad that like programs like Cahoots have been around in, in places like Oregon and now in Denver for, you know, decades in Oregon for a few years in Denver, still not off the ground here in LA, $11 billion budget. And we can't fund this kind of basic help. Like just the idea that this man, Enoch Connors, 32, could have easily been offered services, a safe place to stay, not having, not having to be out there looking for an encampment to crash at, but like having having actual housing options that would have saved two lives like that's the ultimate and terrible tragedy of this yeah i mean i've got i've got nothing to add to that it's you summarized it perfectly yeah so let's uh let's move on to uh our last story here sorry chris this is a this is a long one it it sucks um but yeah lastly uh as you all know la is a river city. Um, I'm sure you've all seen the uh, the big paddle boats rolling by with the casinos on them. Um, I, I've seen, but yeah, I, I've seen Terminator Two where the semi goes off the bridge into the. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, so there are parts of the LA River that aren't completely bone dry, especially around like Atwater Village, a little a little farther north, where there's actually some like some wetlands and some greenery. And if you follow the LA River farther west into the south through like Bologna Creek, then you get like or Bayona Creek, I guess is how you pronounce it. Um, you you get to some real wetlands and some like actual marshy river-like environments. But especially up around uh, Atwater Village and to the the farther northeast up into the San Gabriel Valley. There are a lot of people who live on the river and have yep. for decades. One of Nithya's uh, campaign videos featured a man who recently passed away and was the first unhoused man we've ever heard of uh, that was uh, whose name was memorialized in the adjourning motions before L.A. City Council. Of course, none of our L.A. City Council members outside of Nithya and Mike Bonin really gave a fuck about that. They, yep. you know, probably had their probably had the Zoom muted like Mitch does because he doesn't want to be yelled at. Um but L.A. has been talking about revamping the river for a long, long while. And so the 2020 master plan was released. Uh, they just released a draft. This is in, came out in February 2021. And we're not going to go through this like line by line. You know, basically, the plan is to pave over a lot of this to make there be some nice spaces to put up some very richy condos, to put up some very nice commercial buildings. But there are a couple of parts of this plan that like really caught our eye. So, Chris, uh, take us through this one because it's... um. You know, I want to see, like, the L.A. River be a nice, livable, cool place, but I also, like, I, I don't want more cops and more displacement. Yeah, so uh, basically there's there's this uh, very friendly, helpful user on Twitter 
uh, with the handle at unsheltered and then the number one. Uh, they go by unsheltered turtle and then their uh, the rest of the handle is a uh, an actual turtle emoji, uh, which is pretty <laughs> dope. Uh, and they they comment about things from the perspective of being a turtle, which is super fun. Um, yeah, but also yes. kind of ironic because you would think a turtle just carries their own shelter with them. Hey, but we'll, we'll have to ask Miss, Mr. <laughs> and or Mrs. Unsheltered Turtle about that later. <laughs> exactly. So uh, they went through and actually highlighted and added emojis to uh, screenshots of uh, the proposed L.A. River Master Plan 2020 uh, specifically, impact section 3.13b under the heading Would the proposed project displace a substantial number of existing people uh, or housing, necessitating the construction of replacement housing elsewhere? Um, and from the report, quote, it is expected that constructing the common elements typical project, uh, which those are all capitalized, could result in the removal of homeless encampments and subsequent project implementation would affect the density and distribution of homeless encampments throughout the 51 mile long and two mile wide study area, thus reducing the impacts associated with those encampments. For example, common elements typical project would involve mm -hmm. the introduction of heavy equipment and personnel into possibly occupied areas. Homeless encampments and associated structures would be removed from construction areas in coordination with local jurisdiction authorities, uh, subject to applicable law and state law prior to the start of construction activities consistent with the... Da, 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 da. Moreover, because common elements typical project could result in greater public recreational use of the areas near the L.A. River... The maintenance of existing encampments and the creation of new encampments would become less viable. For some heavily used homeless encampments in areas, implementation of the common <coughs> elements typical project uh, could also include, quote, increased patrol of the project sites so that the impacts of these encampments are not likely to continue. That's yeah. a lot of government speak for we're going to get rid of all y'all. Yeah. And I mean, it, you know, the, the bike path along the L.A. River is, is fairly nice. It's it's, you know, fun to ride. Um, it's been a little bit hard to navigate during the five plus years of construction of actually building the overpass for yep. pedestrians and bikes. Um, but the many times I've ridden it, I've never felt threatened by the people who live in the encampments or who live on the islands like that's yeah. never been a source of safety or concern for me. Um, and it's it's weird that the city is not trying to like strike a balance, especially as we get into like their solutions for this. So um, obviously it's mainly social workers, right, Chris? They're going to hire an army of, of social workers to fix this. <laughs> no. Uh, no, they're, they're establishing yet another COP program called the Los Angeles River Ranger Program Establishment Plan. Jesus Christ. It sounds like Boy Scouts, but like we can murder you. Yeah, if if the Boy Scouts. Oh were God, all, they're gonna arm them too, aren't they? If the uh, Boy Scouts fuck. were also like Hitler Youth, yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, it's so bleak. Um, yeah. Oh, so this is um, this was from the uh, AB fifteen fifty eight from Garcia. Um, the, that's where this the River Ranger plan comes from. Uh, so thank you, Garcia. Uh, that's lovely of you to have given us this. Bill came from 2017. Uh, address river-adjacent communities, limited contact with and responsibility for the river, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, 
they live next to it. That's their limited contact. Sure. Okay. Um, anyway, they want to put more cops in. It fucking sucks. Uh, let's yeah. not go into too much more detail about that. Um, but the important thing here is that clo- like closing out this report, um, the highlighted section here says... A number of homeless encampments are located along the L.A. River. Currently, more than 7,500 people experiencing homelessness live in communities along the L.A. River. No counts of the population within the fence line were identified, but anecdotally, sizable encampments exist in multiple locations along the corridor and have been the subject of multiple news accounts. Um, Yeah, they're going to get rid of all of them because the L.A. River Master Plan doesn't give a shit about unhoused people. Yeah. Well, it's it's also, it's one of the... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Terry. L.A. wants a river walk so badly. And the... Oh, yeah. And to uh, to gentrify... I mean, this continues to gentrification from basically straight down down to the Arts District, right? I mean, a process that is already going mm-hmm. on along with the, the planning of the, of the metro lines. Um, and these 75,000 people, I mean, they already live in fear of being quite literally swept away. Because the entire purpose of the, of the concrete is channelization of the river... Well, is that mm-hmm. any you know Los Angeles used to be a, a wet floodplain? I mean, that, and to to protect property rights from property from flooding, they put concrete just fifty fucking miles of concrete straight down to Long Beach, and uh, you know so a drop of rain north of, north of L.A. and you know hundreds of thousands of gallons of water a, a minute will flow by and and again quite literally uh, sweep unprotected people away. Uh, at which point, then mm-hmm. we have to send out rescue helicopters and all that garbage. Yeah, well, and it's yeah. it's one of these where, you know, the other thing is when we look at the number here, 7,500 people they estimate are living there. And it could be a lot higher than that. Like, that's kind of a, a guesstimate. But at best, you know, project or uh, not project, um, but Measure H is going to build 10,000 rooms for the city of L.A. Measure Triple H is going to build 10,000 rooms for the county of Los Angeles. Um, the the L.A. River in this case falls within the city of Los Angeles. Um, that would be the vast majority of rooms if we build every room under Measure H. We're not building every room under Measure H. We're only building about 7,200 to 8,000 rooms under Measure H. Like, when they talk about moving these people along, they don't have a place to put them. Yeah. The Project Room Key uh, you know, <laughs> funds and the Project Room Key program is gonna be shutting down in September at the latest. There were people who were moved into Project Room Key rooms just a week ago or two weeks ago out of Echo Park who were already being told to pack your stuff and get the hell out. The tourists are coming back. You can't use the hotel room anymore. We don't have a place to put them. You know, the idea of putting everyone in congregant shelters, well, nobody wants to be in an effing congregant shelter. Um, There's ideas of busing them out to the desert and just putting them in, like, FEMA tents. And, like, that's something that's okay to do with human beings, apparently. Uh, It's, uh, you know, just the same program of pushing people around because we don't want to have to look at them. And you know that none of the condos that they're building along this, like, brand new river walk are going to be offered to the people who have been living there in some cases for decades and like quite comfortably eking out a living, not thriving necessarily, but not really doing anything wrong, just trying to survive. And it's, it's, you know, these same failed policies over and over and over again. And then when you, you know, couple it with this extreme push for gentrification, that's going to come with the Olympics. Like it's, it's people are going to die. Like that's, that's what's going to happen here is a lot of these people are going to die. And the, you know, 
Los Angeles City Council, and I mean, they've really got to stare into their own souls. I mean, God help them if they do, but they go because us, <laughs> us good, compassionate Democrats need to remember that tents in the desert is what Joe Arpaio did. Um, so, uh, yeah. so these yeah. are not these are not valid proposals, um, and they just want to you know look good, have good, have a good soundbite on TV and and get reelected. I mean, it's it's, uh, it's also what I we mean, did in World War II to the Japanese Americans. Like this is literally just a recreation of fucking internment camps. Like 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 uh, it's Jack, not an option. Like Jack Robinson Stadium at UCLA uh, was a little while ago. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, not to not to give Doctor Sheriff Alex too many ideas, but my favorite Sheriff, uh, Sheriff Joe uh, story because I do have a few of them. I grew up in Arizona. He, you know, uh, was constantly around, and he was a bit of a, a fame whore and was always putting himself out there. But when I was twelve or thirteen, I went to the uh, local mall to buy some Christmas gifts, and sitting outside the J.C. Penney at like a folding card table was Sheriff Joe Arpaio, and he was selling the famous pink boxers from Tent City. Uh, and so he would sign a pair of pink boxers for $12, and I bought a pair for my dad for Christmas. Um, the, the thing was, they stopped using the pink boxers in Tent City because the inmates were stealing them as souvenirs to, like, give to their friends and family after you, you know, did your time in Tent City. Because ah, Tent City really wasn't for, like, long-term staying. You're only supposed to be there for a few days or for a couple of weeks at the most. But um, it was, you know, it was pretty terrible. And I still remember, like, even at the, the tender age of, like, 12, looking at my elected sheriff and being like, why are you signing underwear outside of J.C. Penney at a mall? Like, God, shouldn't so you have weird. better things to be doing with your time? That's so weird. Yeah. He was a weird oh. fucking guy. Jero, Joe Arpaio is, like, his name in the DEA was Dimebag uh, Joe. Because he would always make the smallest busts, and the other agents made fun of him. Because he wasn't a good cop. Like, he wasn't a guy who was busting cartels. He would, like, get a guy on the street corner and be like, look at this. I pulled $30 worth of weed off the street. And everyone would be like, oh, all right, Joe. Good good, good for good for you, Joe. Cool. Thanks. Great. So, what a fucking asshole. Yeah. He, yeah, he was a uh, he was a terrible human being who's unfortunately still around and still trying to run for senator and, and sheriff and a whole bunch Trump. of other stuff. Yeah, yeah, he did. He did. Jesus. So uh, hopefully that uh, hopefully we will be hearing the last from Sheriff Joe very very soon. But like we also don't want to see that sort of idea taking root in L.A. County, and yep. that's where idiots like Sheriff Villanueva are gonna go. That's where like Joey Buckets is gonna go. And you know what? Let's use this. We're going to chat real briefly about the 2022 race uh, and then turn to our big announcement. But, like, 2022 is shaping up to be uh, a bit of a clusterfuck of a year, you know? Yeah. All of the odd city council district races are up, and we're like, ground game's not ready to make endorsements. Yep. Like, it is way too early in the cycle to be endorsing anyone in any race. Like, it's just way too early to be doing that stuff, in my opinion. Um, With that being one exception. Said, I mean, like, we did see, uh, you know what, let's talk about that real quick. The uh, Jackie Fielder's Daybreak, Daybreak Pack did decide to endorse uh, Fatima Iqbal Zubair, who's going to be running in uh, 8064 again, which is uh, covers parts of South L.A., uh, running against uh, Joey Gibson. Is that not Joey Gibson? Uh, Mike Gibson. Mike Gibson. That's his yeah. name, Mike Gibson, um, who is just kind of a very do-nothing centrist Democrat. But Fatima is an LAUSD educator, uh, a mother, an absolutely amazing human being, uh, a, uh, just a, a great all-around person and ran a really, really good campaign. Everyone but, should go follow her. Yes, but here in the city of Los Angeles, our mayoral race especially is shaping up to be 
pretty freaking terrible, where right now the two (laughs) most credible declared candidates are Mike Feuer, the L.A. city attorney who failed to prosecute any corruption while he was in office, um, was more interested in going after counterfeit iPhone chargers than he was like Jose Rizar and his literally racket. Yeah. Uh, and then also Joe Buscaino, Joey Buckets, uh, who represents South LA in, in uh, District 15, uh, well, parts of the South Bay, and then like a big little string that connects it to the rest of LA in one of the most gerrymandered, ridiculous districts. And the thing about 15 is the only reason that district exists the way it does is so that the Port of Los Angeles exists within the city of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. That's the only reason that district exists the way that it does is so that the city of L.A. can capture and control the port of Los Angeles. Um, but right now we have these two incompetent reactionaries vying to lead the city. And neither one of them are going to have a better idea for how to solve the housing crisis or how to get people who are living on the streets housed who are like more capable of running the city than Garcetti, which is like that's saying a lot because Garcetti's really bad at his job. Yeah. So. At the top of the ticket, we, we don't have a lot of rays of hope, you know? No. We also see districts like District 11 on the west side, currently rep by Mike Bonin. Like, that's going to be a drag-down, bloody-effing fight. And, like, people have legitimate issues with Mike. Like, there are ways Mike could be better and could be more progressive. But I want to tell everyone out there, the pr- people coming to replace Mike Bonin are going to be to the right of Joey Buckets, not mm-hmm. to the left of Mike Bonin. Like, we need to keep Mike Bonin in office. Like, he's the best we got right now in CD11. He's not a bad guy. We've gotten him covered with Nithia. He's able to push farther to the left. We need to keep doing that, right? Like, we need to keep stacking the city council with more and more progressive. Two progressives still doesn't get us that far. We need at least five progressives to really make an impact. Having seven or eight progressives on the council, oh boy, now we're cooking with fire. And we could if we replaced and kept and we, if we keep Mike Bonin and replace everyone else in uh, odd-numbered districts with progressives, we would actually have a majority on the council. We would actually have eight freaking people to do cool progressive stuff. And yep. there's some rays of hope out there. There are some very good candidates whose hands are popping up, and it looks like it's going to get good. But we still have to wait for the redistricting to settle. And the redistricting could be a really brutal process and that could shake oh, up yeah. a lot of things. So we'll just have to wait and see how that shakes out. But uh, and Chris, and Jerry, what are, the, the, yeah. The timeline for that redistricting is like, it's, it's extended and it's extended yeah. and we don't actually really know what's going to be going on. Like we probably won't know where the district boundaries are going to be until like August, which is yeah. kind of wild. Maybe even into September or October. Like, yeah, it's like, Anybody wants to talk about this stuff, hit up Rob Kwan on Twitter and then find out just how absolutely fucked we are because it's like the ramifications of the like the delayed census results are huge. Like it's going to be a complete disaster for the uh, the primary. Like, there's there's we might have to end up delaying the primary in 2022 because of all this stuff. Like it's absolutely going to be a complete clusterfuck. Um, at the top of the ticket, like you said, we we're, it's a it's an absolute shit show. We've got Joey Buckets and Fuhrer and a bunch of other people as well. Like who knows who they are? Uh, one of them I saw is like 24 years old and has declared his candidacy for the mayor, which is you know good luck to you, bro. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm like love to hear. He actually I mean, honestly not the worst not the worst platform I've ever seen. <laughs> Better than Joey Buckets. Um, but then uh. stepping in to replace Joey Buckets, like there's that um, the LAPPL lobbyist who yeah. like 
resigned and like liquidated his his uh, entire lobbying firm and and just like walked away from all of that the day that Joey Buckets declared for his mayoral position. Uh, his male no, and, and even even that guy is apparently not the chosen successor of Joey Buckets. Joey Buckets has another person <laughs> yeah, in mind, right? Uh, so it's going to be like CD15 uh, is going to be a drag down knockout fight, and there's a lot of corruption to be done down there. Like yep. there's a lot of corruption. Joey Boscaino, let's not forget, was linked to Jose Weizar, was linked to all of the dirty real estate dealings that have been oh, going yeah. on in City Hall. Like Joey Buckets' nose is not clean. We'll still have to see well, if Kevin DeLeon decides to throw his hat in the ring because everyone knew that he came down yeah. from. Sacramento to be mayor of Los Angeles. He, you know, I'm sure he cares about the people of CD1, but not nearly as much as he cares about being the mayor. Yeah, and like the guy in CD15 who I've heard is the, you know, chosen successor uh, for Joey. CD1. Buckets. What's 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 Kevin DeLeon's district? Uh, 14. 14. Thank That's you. That's my Sorry. district. Sorry. I was I was yeah. I, I just kind of tuned that out there at the end, which one you said that CD1 is Gil Cedillo, and that fucker is apparently not going anywhere, uh, and somehow got a Bernie endorsement. What are you doing, Bernie? <laughs> like, it's it's political loyalty. Like, uh, uh, you know, Gil Cedillo spoke when Bernie went out to Venice. Like, up on the podium was AOC, Mike Bonin, and Gil Cedillo. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> One of these doesn't belong. But Gil Cedillo has been loyal to Bernie. Like he's he's not a, a completely incompetent po- political like uh, mover. So he was able to lock that in yep. and get the Bernie campaign to be like, all right, you you earn this one with your loyalty. We'll we'll go ahead and give you the endorsement. Well, hopefully we can undo that. But I was going to say that the the chosen successor, from what I understand, in CD fifteen, uh, is actually somebody who is intimately involved with the Port of Los Angeles. So. Yeah, that corruption, uh, you know, the giant fucking money bags that are the Port of Los Angeles tax revenue and everything associated with it. Uh, Keep your eyes on that one, folks, because we're going to see how that all turns out. Terry, you got any thoughts on 2022? Uh, Wasn't that season two of The Wire uh, with the Port of Los Angeles? (laughs) It was. Uh, No, honestly, I I haven't been on the ground in Los Angeles for about uh, almost two years now, Uh, so I I don't have the grasp of the details. Uh, Actually, I never have a grasp of the details the way that two of you do. Um, But one thing I will say, because this is more of a theoretical observation, is that at the top of the ticket at the the mayoral level, you have like a perfect encapsulation of the uh, the two wings of neoliberalism, right? The, the one wing mm. with Buscino and uh, sort of a more overt police first approach, and then the the, the then the sect of people who are t- willing to tolerate the requirements of neoliberalism, which is thousands of people on the streets, and and they'll go for the person who puts on a better face, but then just goes after counterfeit iPhone chargers. Because you know when they're at LAX, they don't, and they go to one of those vending machines. They don't want to get a, a junk one. So uh, really, we have to sort of say, hey, the center is not good enough. Um, you know, left to center at best, uh, progressive uh, better, and then in cases like uh, with Bonin, uh, the the far left should not eat its own. Uh, you know, yeah. it's time to to rally around like smart strategy. Yeah, yep. we have to we have to protect seats like it kind of sucks. That's the, the thing about the system is it's very, very broken. And like we need to have an understanding that like the wins that we do have, we, we need to guard. 
right? Like, if we don't guard those, we're going to get the rug pulled out from under us by, like, you know, I went to a Venice Neighborhood Council meeting in 2005 where I saw the CEO of Rip Curl argue that Abbott Kinney should not have chain stores on it because a Pinkberry moved in. And those are the kind of, like, mush-brained morons who are greedy to the point of, like, sacrificing human lives who want to take over Bond and C. Like, we saw the recall campaign Ugh. against him go nowhere, but a couple of guys made a lot of money by collecting money for recall campaign and then paying themselves as consultants. And, like, those are the kind of idiots that in an election year could actually pick up some votes and could actually yep. make that a competitive district. And that is scary as fuck. Like, we'll still have to see what happens with the Newsom recall campaign. Um, those signatures are being counted and being challenged, and we will loon very shortly whether or not there were enough signatures to recall Governor Newsom, and then it's going to be bloody fucking ugly. Spoiler yeah. alert, don't vote to recall Newsom. Yep. Newsom sucks, but, like, it, don't open Pandora's box. <laughs> Please, yeah. don't open you, Pandora's box. Did you see that they're trying to do the same thing with uh, Chessa up in San Francisco right now? There's a recall... I mean, yeah, sort of. I mean, the Gascon recall is doing the same thing. I don't yeah. think either of those have as many legs. The funny yeah, thing yeah, about yeah. the Chesel recall is none of those people live in L.A. anymore. Like, many of them moved San, out before Chesel was even elected. Oh, sorry, San Francisco. Many of them moved out before Chesel was even elected. Yeah. Like, these are these VC dipshits who go on their podcast and they're like, Chesa, debate me. And Chesa's like, no, I'm the elected district attorney <laughs> of the county of San Francisco. You're VC some random tech dipshit. What Why fuck? should I... <laughs> why should I debate you? And they're like, because I'm a rich white guy. And you're like, that's not, you're kind of proving the point. But, but and with a, one more word on the, on the recall, like I, I think your analysis of it, Squirrel was, was the best that I've run across that uh, it's a, it's a grift from, to, to suck out money from Republicans in California and funnel that money to consultants and to Republican parties in other, other States. But but also, uh, I was just saw this, I think, yesterday or today in the L.A. Times that uh, there's there's some pretty progressive uh, environmental le legislation in the, the legislature right now. I mean, like more progressive than uh, what get Newsom even wanted, uh, it, you know, with the ban on fracking, uh, ban on other extraction methods, the setbacks, uh, all of it. And the point made in that article is sort of tangential, but if if Newsom is recalled, doesn't matter if he survives his recall election. There is no political oxygen for anything but that one move, and so all this stuff yep. that would have might have passed. I mean, God knows, California state legislature has its problems, but you know that some of that stuff might have passed, and then they would have been able to force Newsom's hand into signing it. But because there are so many mm -hmm. unions, goddamn them, that oppose fracking bans, uh, yeah, then he's got to kind of play more to the middle than he would anyway. So, uh, so recalling him is just bad on every front. Oof. Yeah, Shit. it's gonna. I mean, <clears throat> it's the other thing that we learned from um, the the recall campaign statistics is most of the signatures they collected by mail. And what's interesting about that is the state of California apparently will let you collect recall signatures through a mail campaign. But when, you know, maybe Ground Game was interested in recalling someone and wanted to follow up on, hey, could we collect signatures electronically? 
the state of California very firmly said, no, no, you cannot do that. You can absolutely not collect signatures electronically. Um, these Republicans somehow found a way around it and like 90% of their signatures or like 80, 80% plus came from this sort of like mail campaign and another 10% or so I want to say 6% came from Democrats uh, that they accosted at like supermarkets and stuff. So there is a, a sizable percentage of Democrats in the state of California where you can shove a recall the Democratic governor petition under their nose and they'll probably sign it because they're like, oh, you know what? He hasn't done enough about COVID. Let's recall the fucker. And you're like, this is why political education matters, folks. This is, this is why it matters to study things like political strategy. So Andrea Leanne Grossman is commenting on Facebook saying that Viore Gosa is apparently thinking of jumping into the recall race. Uh, so, so we have we have that fun, uh, you know, gem God, it's, yeah. of a political campaign to look forward to. Can it implode even worse than his last attempt at campaigning? Jesus. Like, the fact that he ever won the mayorship in the city was an absolute indictment of our electoral system because of his your <laughs> election. Like, he was such an incompetent politician. Like, by the time he left office, people were like, I think Antonio might uh, end up unhoused because he spent all his money in Vegas. And everyone's like, oh, shit, he did? Wow, Jesus. sucks to be him. That's right. And that's he why he started broke. shilling for charter schools because uh. they were the only ones slimy enough to pay him. But let's uh, let's go ahead and let's move on to our, our last couple of segments of the day. Uh, first off, uh, big news about uh, Knock at Night. We have uh, a show coming up Wednesday. This That would be April 7th. Featuring Cerise Castle and Andres Daquan from ACLU SoCal talking about a tradition of violence. The absolutely, like, fucking amazing series that Cerise Castle has put together exploring deputy gangs. Yep. All of the lawsuits that L.A. County has had to pay out money on over them. All of the deaths that they've caused. All of the cruelty, harassment, sexism, bigotry, outright violence that they have visited. Not only on fellow deputies, but the communities of South Los Angeles and East Los Angeles with basic impunity. And, uh... It's a really hard subject to talk about, um, but it's going to be a really, really good show. I'm going to be hosting along with managing editor of Knock, Maggie Clancy. Please tune in. Twitch.tv slash GroundGameLA. It's getting started at 8 p.m. on Wednesday, April 7th. Probably going until like 9 or 9.30. It's going to be like, yep. it's going to be a deep conversation, but please do turn in. It's going to be really, really good. Uh, and then the big... Yeah, and then the big announcement for us, um, and Terry, I'm sorry to, to pull the rug out from under you this way, but... <laughs> This is going to be Chris and Mai's last podcast. Uh, unfortunately, the two of us have just too much shit going on. It's been four and a half years uh, pushing this forward. And um, yeah, I, I'm moving on to a new career and I just don't have the time for it. And yeah. it sucks, but it's been a fun ride, y'all. Um, I wasn't going to try and get into emotional about this, but it, it's been really amazing. And ultimately, I hope we did more good than harm. And I hope you all enjoyed it. And I hope you all stay out there and keep fucking fighting. Um, thank you. Yeah, uh, I I promise you, uh, more good has come of this than harm. Uh, I I promise that. Uh, we did 148 episodes of this. Uh, it's been a hell of a journey. I've I've learned so much about uh, how this whole system works from working with you, Squirrel, on all this. And uh, I couldn't have asked for a better partner in this this venture. Uh, it's been absolutely yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, thank uh, you, Chris. And thank you, Terry, for joining yeah. us even just at the end here. Um, it's been really great working with you. Uh, well, at, at, and, and working with you to found knock like yeah. all of the like, holy shit, we did that thing. Uh, yeah. At the, at the risk of, of making this more emotional, uh, I want to I want to thank both of you uh, f 
for all of the work that you've done from the inception of this enterprise, both here at Knock and in Ground Game. Uh, and I, you have been amazing. You've been rocks through the last four and a half years. Uh, and I want to thank you personally as friends. Uh, so I want to wish uh, I want to, well, actually I want to wish you both the best in new careers. Uh, I know a little bit more about the world that Squirrel is going into than uh, that of like space lasers on satellite sharks or whatever. <laughs> uh, and uh, and 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 actually, you're well. You're both. I'm, I'm gonna direct this to Squirrel a little more directly. But uh, you're gonna do a, a, a whole lot of good in the world. Uh, with what you're moving forward into, uh, it's uh, it's it's an unsung job. Uh, you're going to help a lot of people. You're going to make a big difference in a lot of lives. And uh, I know when you have a moment, when you have a time, it kind of creeps back into your schedule. Uh, knowing what I what I do about you, there's there's no way that that activism won't be a part of your life going forward. So uh, this is uh, I think you at the, at the pre-chat uh, before the show, you guys sold this to me as a, oh, it's a temporary pause and thing. It, this is exactly what it, what it is. It's going to be, I know that this is in your hearts. Um, it always has been. And uh, this is a pause, but I know you're coming back into the struggle in a big way. So thank you uh, for everything and for having me on. Thank you. No, thank you. Talk on a, yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, we're officially uh, two weeks out three weeks out from ground games four-year anniversary uh, March 17th 2017 was when this whole thing started and it's been uh, a long crazy wild trip um, but um, ground game is bigger than it's ever been knock is bigger than it's ever been um, grown beyond any of the expectations any of us had when we were sitting around that table in Hollywood trying to figure out what the fuck this was gonna be so, yeah um, thank you all like so much um, for everything you've done I know knock is gonna have more podcasts and stuff coming out. Um, mm -hmm. What exactly that's going to look like, I don't really know. Um, that's one of the things about this kind of horizontalist work is you just at some point have to let go and realize it's not yours to own. And that hurts, but it's also great. Yeah. So, you know, thank you all for everything. Yeah. Thank you for sure. So for sure. coming up this week, um, like you said, we do have a huge knock at night coming up on Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Uh, Twitch.tv slash GroundGameLA. It's going to be fantastic. I will be here tomorrow morning to do uh, live tweeting of the city council. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be able to keep doing that. Probably not too much longer. Same kind of a situation as uh, Squirrels in in terms of career change. Time just isn't working for this anymore. Um, also happening tomorrow morning, we've got the Los Angeles Police Commission meeting happening as always on Tuesday mornings. Hit up at LAPC Fails on Twitter for more information. Follow along with what White People for Black Lives and BLM are doing. Uh, they are all about keeping trying to hold the, those those absolute rabid assholes accountable. Fuck yeah. you, Steve Soberoff. You absolutely useless oh, of shit. One more uh, thing, and if I can just jump yeah. in about about Soberoff, that <laughs> motherfucker. All right, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, and, and Squirrel will appreciate this a lot. I'm not sure if anything that pisses me off about him more than the fact that he is an avid typewriter collector, and it it. it <laughs> It pains me to know that Maya Angelou's typewriter is sitting on that asshole's shelf because no, because really? he has because he has the money to just go out and and buy the the, the at auction oh, the typewriters of the most famous writers in, in America every time they come up I yeah that son of a bitch sorry to interrupt 
oh that that fucking sucks yeah, but no, thank I, you for that, that little yeah gem Oy. Um, and as also uh, as has been the case for the last few Wednesdays, um, moving forward again, BLM will be continuing to hold the LAPPL action, uh, demanding an end to police associations. It'll be Wednesday uh, at 3 p.m. at uh, 1313 West 8th Street, uh, right in front of the uh, ACLU SoCal offices. So if you just you know go to Google Maps and type in ACLU SoCal, that's where you're going. Uh, and as always, you can subscribe to the Ground Game LA events calendar at bit.ly slash gg.eventscal. And uh, that's kind of where we're at. So as yeah. always, uh, well, actually, no, this doesn't really make that much sense for us to keep saying that this <laughs> podcast and every Ground Game podcast is a production of Knock.LA. You can support our work over on Patreon at patreon.com slash knock underscore LA. You can check the description of this podcast for sources, links to actions, and social media links. Thank you very much, everybody. It has been one hell of a run. Um, I say it from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate every moment that we've been doing this with uh, with you, Squirrel, and Terry, and everybody else. It's been absolutely amazing. Thank you very much. And um, yeah. that's all I got. Yeah. Take care of yourselves, everyone. Thank you all so much. Keep the fight going. <laughs> <laughs>